in the studio. You, you texted me a lovely photo, and there was more than you had just been at a birth. And uh, we're not oh. going to spoil it yet, but where was this birth? Um, this was down, I won't name this, the state exactly. This, okay. was a, this was south of where you are. <laughs> okay. I live in Kentucky. It's south of, of me. Yeah. People say Kentucky's yeah. the south. It's pretty darn far north, everybody. So we're not going to use any identifying information. But what was funny about that photo, Christine, I get a lot of birth photos. I take a lot of birth photos at my births, too. And uh, what was funny is it wasn't just one pair of feet. In fact, it wasn't no. just two pair of feet. There was at least three pair of feet there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what? So you must be an obstetrician now. You must have been in an operating room with a scalpel. <laughs> How did you hold a camera when you were doing a C-section on triplets? Yeah, yeah. At thirty-four weeks, because it's mandatory, we get of them out at thirty-four, and then they go to the NICU uh, until their due date. That's what I'm told. Yeah, that's so, that's oh, that's definitely what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I guess you, yeah, you you must have strayed from protocol or something, huh? I did I did a little bit. Yeah, that but that's what this mother was told. Um, and uh, I'll give you a little backstory on her. First of all, she does want her story shared and told far and wide. I'm sure she is going to share it. She's only you know two days postpartum at this point, so. But she does really want this shared, so it, it is with permission that I share it. I'm just not going to give identifying information. Yeah. that she, she can do that if she wants. Um, but she uh, was in her early 30s, and she is a G7. Uh, she had um, five children, and, well, she's given birth six times. She had five children uh with her and one was a surrogate so um but six pregnancies wow and so she just gives birth well she's had one at home uh and she wanted to have another home birth and then she found out she was pregnant with triplets they are naturally occurring um there she did not have ivf um and she thought oh great now i can't have my home birth and um she just went online and did research and asked around and then she found i think initially she found david hayes's information and contacted We're all friends him friends with david um, we all know david he's yeah. lovely yep and, and he's traveling um a lot and so he kind of said would you be willing to cover for me if i can't be there and and i looked at the dates of his travel and her dates and he always thinks they're going to go early because he's an obstetrician and i'm like oh yeah she's going to go and he's gone because She's going to do what the last triplet mom did, and she's going to go to close to term. And so, you know, my criteria for staying home is uh, 36 weeks. She has to get to 36 That's weeks. That's what I use, and, too. I think my partner, yeah. Sarah Rosser, does as well. It's like those mm -hmm. babies tend to do pretty well if they make it to 36 weeks. Twins, triplets, yeah. quintuplets, for all yeah. I care. But singletons, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. So as long as they make it to 36 weeks, which I'm sorry to interrupt. I just love this story. But. I remember you reaching out and saying, if she goes the distance. So is there some sense of like, I wouldn't be surprised if she came early, but like, were you more surprised that she made it past 36 and then made it to 37 and then made it to 38 and then had babies? Like, what was your, what were you feeling as a birth worker? Because this is really the crux of what makes you so special. Yeah. No, I feel like if they can get to 36, because there's so many variables with multiples prior to that, especially triplets. I, I know because my last set of triplets went to 39 and two. So I knew she could do it and I knew what she was like. She gestates usually to about 40 weeks or maybe just a little bit more. Um, and she's just has very 
um, consistent things with her pregnancies. Yeah. And so um, she just is, uh, you know, I what I have learned, because all of the triplets I've done, with the exception of these last two, have been out of this country, and they've been in, you know, ex more extreme circumstances. Uh, so these are my first two experiences with women in the U.S. having triplets uh, at home. And I really have found this sort of common denominator with, among these two. Uh, um, but they're, they're just, they just have this um, calm sense of this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And they are committed to a good diet. They are not fearful. They have confidence in their body. And they do not see their care provider slash me as their savior mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. not like everything is going to be okay if you're there it's i'm so glad you're going to be here to help me through this process in case i need anything right so because i can't i, I can't guarantee anything Never. and nobody can but um as soon as they start elevating you to that point of that for me that's a that's a red flag like no i can't i will do my job and I'll get you all as safely to the other side as possible, or we go in, or whatever. I'm using my best judgment, but um, but I I can't I can't guarantee an outcome. Yeah, and that's critical. But they they understood that they had to birth these babies. This is what they are, were doing, and this mama was no different than the one I helped last year, and she just had this sense of. Um, I'm going to do this. And mm. she was told she was actually hospitalized in the middle of her pregnancy. Um, she had, uh, she thought she was leaking some fluid. She went in, um, she had a subchorionic hemorrhage. They kept her in the hospital for two weeks and they told her, you know, we'll, we'll, and she kept declining a whole bunch of stuff. Once she figured out everything was fine, they, they wanted to monitor her. So she's like, okay. And after two weeks, she signed out AMA because nothing more was wrong. Everything, the babies were checking out fine. They were growing fine. Everything was good. And they wanted to keep her there another couple of months until 34 weeks when they were going to section her and then put the babies in the NICU. And she's like, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> And, uh, you know, at that point, I thought, oh, I don't know if she's going to make it to 36 weeks. Now, I thought for sure that was going to be the end of it. And no, nope, she went home and she just kept on and she ate and fed those babies well. And she got to 36 weeks and there was a big storm here. And I said, I have to wait one more day to come down because there's a big storm and I'm not driving through that. And um, so she um, she yeah, she did. And then. Um, it was still a couple more weeks. Wow. So, um, and I met her, you know, for the first time at just at 36 and two, two weeks before she gave birth ultimately. And uh, we sat and talked. It was just um, me and her. And uh, we were, I was explaining kind of, you know, sort of how how I do things and just, you know, asking her a lot of questions and getting to know her. And at the end I said, so, do you have any questions for me? And then she's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, she's really, she, I've never met anybody so incredibly very, very, yeah. um, laid back. Grounded. But she loves being pregnant and she loves giving birth. And I think it's one reason she was a surrogate. Um, and so I, I'm like, this, she's gonna do great. Like I didn't have any doubt. Mm. Um, and, and she did, and she was, uh, she measured 52 um, centimeters at her highest. And, 52. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, oh, man, that's hilarious. Um, 
and like that would just make somebody like a doctor's head pop off like oh we got to do gross scans it's like doc there's three placenta there's three babies they're all Mm -hmm. term and uh or or nearly full term but they're like past 37 weeks there's all this fluid like Uh uh-huh like what would you expect i mean yeah yeah no it was it was fantastic and she just um she was so beautiful and she had pregnancy photos taken just before uh, the day before she gave birth actually so she really waited till the last minute i saw those um, photos on uh, instagram beautiful yeah 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 and she she has some other ones um in a beautiful green dress just beautiful but she um yeah uh she they it was a try try pregnancy so everybody had their own amnion and chorion it was we knew it was two girls and a boy um, the first one we knew was cephalic because um, it was way, way down there in the pelvis and it just wasn't going to go anywhere. When when I palpated that baby, I couldn't even feel the head. I could feel the neck. That's how low it was. So the baby was like was. in the mid pelvis before she really, even went into labor. Yeah. Really low. She's like, when I walk, I can feel its head like <laughs> like moving against my, my bones. And I'm like, oh my God, that has to be very uncomfortable. Gnarly, yeah. Never complained. Just... She had zero swelling. She didn't have her her glucose was great. Her blood pressure was actually lower than I wanted it. I'm like, how is she going to tolerate? Like, what's her blood pressure going to do after she gives birth if it's this low now? And it I just she there <laughs> what was a paradox. just nothing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so beautiful because when she would stand up from behind, you couldn't even tell she was pregnant <laughs> if you were looking My at gosh. her from the back. Yeah, it's like a missile. It was like a missile coming out of her from the front I saw. Like, it was pretty pretty remarkable photos. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was just beautiful. And so then um, the second baby, baby B, was um, had been breached, and then it it actually, she went to get a growth scan, and right when they were doing the ultrasound, the baby flipped uh, to to vertex. They watched it, and the the ultrasonographer said he's never seen. Head down, head down, and then the boy was transverse. Wow. And uh, yeah, and so um, and plenty of fluid uh, biophysical profiles were eight out of eight for all three up until um, the the last one that she had. And uh, but then, you know, the the ultrasound um, person that read the ultrasound called the midwife because she was seeing a midwife uh, where she was. Somebody was following her for her care. And um, but that midwife had no experience with multiples and did not want to be the primary midwife, but was seeing her for the pregnancy. So um, but the she got a call from the ultrasound place saying, you know, these babies need to come out. <laughs> and, and then the midwife called me going, you know, and they called and they said the babies need to come out. And, I, and I'm like, well, can you send me the report? And I looked at the report. There was absolutely nothing there. It was just her belief that she was just opining that they, I, this is not yeah, okay. Quick, quick PSA, quick PSA. If you're a radio, <laughs> you know, an ultrasound tech, stop doing that. Stop giving your opining on what you think should or shouldn't happen based on what you've heard or read on Instagram. You are yeah. an ultrasound tech. We are so appreciative of the work yeah. you do, but let's stay in our lanes and yeah. let's leave that to the primary birth attendants to determine yeah. whether these babies need to come out because we you know that yeah. that could distress a less a less uh, secure person, you know, than your mm-hmm. client. That that can be distressing and that can actually lead to other issues. So anyways, um, yeah. I'm glad you shared that. So we've got a head down, head down, transverse baby. 
Uh huh. Um, and uh, and plenty of fluid. They're doing great and um, all you know, growing uh, relatively the same rate. Yes, they were all growing. They were all on their own little, you know, growth curve. That it was just everything just like consistent. Really good. Yeah, yeah. All of them just were. Like you not... would expect all just going up like you would expect and. Um, because that one was so low in the pelvis, it was hard to get measurements. And they're like, that one could be IUGR. And I'm like, they're fine. I honestly, I palpated all of them with, you know, with my own hands that I've been doing for 35 years. And they all, you know, you could just really get a good feel yeah. for each one of them. And I could, you know, the, there were good fluid pockets on either side. And I'm like, and you could always hear them all really very clearly mm. um each one they had their own real distinct um you know heart tones and i just didn't have any reservations at all and i said you know you don't have to go back for another another growth scan yeah um because you probably have these babies soon anyway yeah. and we don't need to go through that so uh, christine I, did, were I these spontaneous triplets i forgot to ask you yeah. that oh yes. wow and yeah. were they boys mm -hmm. or girls uh, so girl girl boy girl girl a, boy c yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, they, you know, they were just siblings. So we, um, but you know, the, the growth was what we would expect and they weighed what I figured they would when I was palpating them in somewhere in the five poundish range, I would guess. And at term with her singletons, um, she had babies between five nine and um almost seven pounds so she did not grow not nine babies. pound babies so i'm not expecting these babies were going to be you know huge anyway um so but they were commens commensurate with you know what she would normally um uh grow so i wasn't too concerned i saw her um uh, on uh friday this past friday and she um she did that thing where the her blood pressure did go up. I was so glad, but not alarmingly so, but enough that it was notable. And then I'm like, get on the scale. She got on the scale and she was down a pound. So blood pressure up, weight down. Ah. I'm like, these babies are coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and because when we see that, um, we know that that's, you know, you don't get to see that phenomenon unless you catch it right at that time. You know, you see them the day or two before they go into labor. Yeah. And uh, so... I've seen it a number down, of times, but like if I if you see somebody on Monday and they give birth on Saturday, you're not going to see it. But if you see them on Friday and they give birth Saturday or Sunday, you you can see that phenomenon. Interesting. I'm not sure everybody does it, but um, all the midwives I talked to, I'm like, blood pressure went up, weight went down. They're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> they all know. Um, and she was also she had some uh, mucus that was coming. And so I'm like, yep, this is going to happen. And sure enough, um, that's it. it uh, she went into labor on uh, early Sunday morning, and um, labored quite how I would think uh, somebody who was a grand mal tip would. Her um, the labor was pretty good for um, the first few hours when I was there. You know, really consistent contractions, and then they kind of started to kind of oh slow down and space out because she was lying down she was not walking around you can imagine she had you know ultimately what we know is like over 20 pounds worth of baby and placenta and fluid and everything so it was hard um and she said it was hard she made it look easy but she did say it was hard and she said it didn't feel good well you know it was painful and yeah but she just she made it look good 
and easy. Um, but ultimately I said, well, if you want to have this, these babies, you're going to need to get up and walk a little bit. Why don't you at least go get up and pee? And she got to the toilet and she's like, I can feel her coming down. <laughs> so then she came back in and that's all it took was for her to get up. And, um, and she, uh, yeah, she started to push and that, that first baby came down on Friday. I felt like baby B had reverted back to breach and I was kind of hoping that it would because I didn't like how low down the head was next to the other one. I felt like there could be a little kind of collision impaction situation there because it was she was really vying for that pelvis. Mm. It's like she knew she was supposed to go down there, but her sister was already down there. So I really wanted her to turn breach. And I felt like um, that she was on Friday, but she was always moving a lot and flipping back and forth. So it was going to be a crapshoot. Um, and but the babies sounded fantastic when we listened to them. Um, I had a wonderful team with me. There were two other experienced midwives. Um, one was experienced with multiples, the other was not. And then there were three assistants who were just fabulous um, students. And um, so it was a good team, and um, we could hear the babies all very well. They all sounded great the entire time. So the first one, um, Ilana, she was born cephalic, um, and her grandma caught her. Um, mom Aww. was, I think, standing, and um, and she caught her, and uh, she was born in the call, or the it, the membranes released as soon as as soon as her body started to come. So there was a nice big um, bulging sac, and then the baby came, and it was just a push or two. It was not it was not anything. And it looked like she was breech because her head was so round. I said, oh, if you just showed me this baby, I would say, oh, this was this was a breech baby. Look at that round head. So that told me, oh, we have a very nice ample pelvis. The head does not even need to mold. Um, that wow. baby's apgars were uh, 9, 10, and she weighed 5, 2. Um, and she cried right away, and she was pink and beautiful. And uh, Impossible. So then... <laughs> It, she got on the breast and to generate some contractions. Um, and it was just, I think if I recall, maybe just over an hour, um, she was getting some contractions. And I said, but you're need, gonna need to get up again because we need to get, that baby needs to get into the pelvis and come on down. And uh, and she got up, but the what she was describing, she was feeling, I thought, ah, I bet this baby is breech. It just felt like it, cause she wasn't feeling the same kind of pressure. And the sac had not um, ruptured for that one. And then uh, she started to push. And again, she was uh, standing and grandma was there because she wanted her mother to catch the babies. And I said, that would be wonderful. So wow. um, so grandma was there. And the dad, it was interesting because the dad said, now, because he knew this baby was flipping back and forth. He goes, now, if the baby's breech, don't touch it. And grandma looks at me and goes, don't touch it. And I said, nope, don't touch it. Just you just stand there and just be ready to catch it. She's like, OK. And so this this balloon comes this down with this, with this butt completely posterior, sacrum posterior. It rumps. Pay attention, everybody. <laughs> you can see you can see the cord um, like around the leg inside this inside the membranes and the baby's just coming down. And you know, she's such a good pusher. There, it wasn't like she was pushing. It was just kind of like a pusher too. And the baby just the, again came out in the in the call and right into the grandma's hands. The water breaks. 
and then that little cord was around the foot so the <laughs> kind of bungeed it was it was adorable i have a picture of the cord around the the ankle of the baby and that baby cried right away apgar was nine ten and uh she weighed that was ivy and she weighed five six so just a little bit bigger than wow. her sister wow and just beautiful it was good and so then we um, mom wanted to lie down and and rest a little bit and she was feeling really um good and so then we had the the boy who we knew was transverse so i told her you know i wanted to give him some time to you know make his way i said i don't care how he comes he just can't come transverse so um i asked her to he was starting to move a little bit and i said why don't you lie down on your side because it that's going to press on him and he's going to not like that as much and he's going to go down one way or another whether it's head or butt and um and we'll wait but you need to have some contractions and so why don't you nurse this baby too and so i had her um nurse him and it did create some contractions and they were not feeling good at all um and i did tell her um you know i said now anything can happen with this baby and if he does not move we're, we're going to listen really closely and i the one of the midwives was monitoring the baby's um heart rate pretty closely most of the time uh and uh i said we are going to listen closely because if i need to intervene and go in and get him if his heart rate drops or anything happens and he doesn't turn you know i might need to go in there i'm telling you this now because right now you're not having contractions you're very lucid you're hearing me if i have to tell you really quickly in an urgent situation it's not really good informed consent um so i want you to understand she's like okay okay yeah i get it um and so um i just and i had talked to her about this prenatally but i just wanted to remind her again and so we it was a hour it was going on just a little over an hour and she was um starting to contract a little bit more and i said okay now remember you're going to need to get up again and we were palpating the baby i we could feel it was kind of on an oblique at that point and so she starts to get up and then this huge you could hear this just splashing water all this amniotic fluid but there was also a lot of blood in the amniotic fluid and i just ran and i grabbed some sterile gloves i'm putting them on the midwife was listening to the baby i said what do we have she said 70 he had been beautiful prior to this like he was moving around and his heart rate was great and she's like 70 i said okay and i said all right no so what i told you i might need to do i'm going to do that i was hoping that actually the baby was going to be kind of right there and i could say go ahead and just push that was not the case so i i went in um with the intention of doing an extraction and um if i needed to and yeah i had to go up quite um not too far i had pretty much my entire hand in before i encountered a foot which was great um and so i i grabbed and brought it down to the intraitus and he was in such good shape that i get it there and he pulled it back so everybody watched the foot go back in <laughs> like wow. oh no and i'm like oh this is awful how embarrassing these students are going to think what does she know what she's doing <laughs> this 
baby did not want me pulling on his foot. So I like have to go back in again. You knew what you were doing. The baby also knew what he was doing. He didn't know what he was doing and he did not like me pulling on his feet. So I have to go up there and, and I'm like, okay, I have to find this other foot, both of them and bring them both down and try to kind of get, get a hold of this situation. And he was really fighting me. Um, which in one respect is good. You know, if you have a baby that's compromised, they're much easier to get out. This I have learned now. <laughs> so um, he clearly wasn't, um, but he was obviously going to be because, you know, his heart tones had has gone down enough. So I, I did eventually get both of those ankles and I brought them, um, brought them down. And finally that bitrochanteric diameter came down and he came also down um say direct sacrum anterior as i brought him down he kind of didn't spiral through but i wasn't worried about him getting stuck or anything but once i could grab that pelvis then i did and i i did a love set and then i did um uh rocked and he came flipping right out and he was great he i put him right on her belly because she was lying down and i put him right on her belly and uh and he started to spit and sputter and his APGAR was eight, nine, and he was five pounds, 10 ounces. Wow. And wow. they were all there. So and we've got three we, babies. We had, mm -hmm. we had cephalic, cephalic, or cephalic breach. Cephalic breach. And then and extraction. extraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got the whole, yep. the whole shebang there. And it's a, yeah. it's a multiple. Um, yeah. And then you have three placentas that have to come out in three cords. So what was the, what did the cords look like? You've got healthy looking babies. What did the cords look like yeah. in the placenta? Yeah. So, um, so when I, once he came out and he's on her belly and, you know, she's talking to him, she's like, is he okay? I'm like, yeah, he's great. I said, but look at his cord. He needed to come out like it was done. That cord was finished. The other ones were, were great. Um, we didn't, uh, we didn't sever them right away until the one, the first baby A had a very short cord. So it was kind of hard to get her up to nurse. So once it was finished, we did cut it just for the sake of um, convenience. And the same thing with B, we waited for it to stop. So they were all cut when the cord was done pulsating. And um, she, when she had the placenta, um, it was three pounds worth of placentas um, and uh, a and C were kind of fused and B was its own little placenta. So uh, it was it was quite interesting. And you could see where the subchorionic hemorrhage had been. There was this old, like really old brown clot that uh, kind of was in there with everything else. And that's, ex uh, we saw it and uh, it, was, it was super interesting. Um, but the placentas looked really good. Um, I had discussed with her ahead of time, we had given her some fluids during labor because she was vomiting a lot. And so I said, you're gonna do a little bit better if you have some fluids. So we had given her some fluids. So she had an IV place, but we unhooked it so that she wasn't tethered with the intention of hooking it back up after the fact um, and with some Pitocin. I had a grand mal tip having three babies. I think, um, waiting for an inevitable hemorrhage would be a very bad idea um, when I can actually do something to nip that in the bud um, ahead of time because somebody that has to take care of three babies postpartum, even if they have a little bit of a hemorrhage, they're gonna feel miserable and she needed to feel the best that she could. And so she agreed to that um, postpartum that 
um, management. So we um, put the, as soon as baby C was um, coming out, they hooked up the, the IV with the fluids and um, some Pitocin. And, um, and she maybe lost 600. That was our estimate, not, not much. And um, did really well. She she fell asleep quite deeply after the birth. It was uh, it was a lot of work for her. She handled one and two really well, and then that extraction I think really was it was rough. And uh, you know it's not a fun thing to do, and it's not a fun thing to experience. But and I apologized to her for it, and she said I would do anything for my babies, and I have three healthy babies, so it's really okay. So. Um, so yeah, that that was that was basically um, it. We got them all uh, here safely, and um, you know it, the the extraction wasn't as it was more entertaining than scary. I mean, it was just like I felt exceedingly inept. <laughs> um, but uh, but it, and it was almost. A, I wasn't surprised that I had to to do it. I thought it was a fairly good possibility. I was hoping not, but you know, it was it was definitely a possibility, and so I was prepared. Uh, but it was not a, as far as um you know things go. That's, that's you know awesome. sometimes you even have to do that with twins. Yeah. So yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the importance of telling stories like this is not to find a moral is not to prove a point. No. I mean, I think it does that sort of, there's an intimacy to these stories where, where I think yeah. people can infer those types of things. But mm -hmm. if I were to summarize what happened, it was exactly opposite of what most OBGYNs and frankly, many midwives would say is possible. But we have a woman who went past 37 weeks, had had three beautifully healthy, uh, health, healthful, and, 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 uh, well-grown and, and otherwise healthy mm -hmm. newborns mm -hmm. that yep. were born at home in the hands of a midwife, albeit a very experienced, I call you like the gangster midwife. Like you just walk in and do the thing that so many other people say is not possible, but you have a breadth of experience and in uh, very for lack of better terms, resource poor settings where the operating room is just simply not an option in the way we, we they have a much higher threshold for that anyways. Um, mm -hmm. And so hopefully people who are hearing this story can appreciate that this, if triplets can be born at home and if triplets can grow well with a healthy mind, body, spirit, then a singleton should be, should be easier. Now, shoulds and woulds and all that don't really belong here but the, the point being that I don't know too many people who have assisted two sets of triplets in the out-of-hospital environment and that's pretty awesome Christine so um, much respect to your client first and foremost and to you and your oh, team and your, your colleagues that helped with this there are a variety of of parts of your story that required required you to have the, the discernment powers that come with experience and more experience and even more experience after that but if there was a young midwife out there who couldn't just follow you around the world with doctors without borders and attend thousands of births what do you recommend that they do in order to get better at this and and you're welcome to mention conferences and all that other stuff but i, I really want to know like first and foremost like how does somebody like how did you become this version of you 
where you really did feel like, yeah, as long as you understand the risks and whatnot, I'm here. I'm here to do the thing that I know how to do to the best of my ability. And I'll recommend things along the way. Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I would just seek out them uh, as many opportunities, opportunities as I possibly could. And, uh, and, go uh, try to get experiences with midwives that uh, that I knew would be able to give me those. It was really important to me to, well, I needed a team for this birth, but it was important for me to have the right people there. And I really wanted, it's really important to pass this down. These three yeah. students that were there are never going to forget this. And they're going to learn that what what women are made of if they don't already know they're going to be like okay this is possible this isn't a fluke that that this happened um it, it certainly i mean i think the birth was perfect um an extraction doesn't make it not perfect it, it's just one thing that needed to be done and so i think you know when you if you um if you seek out the opportunities and you can get um get experience with other people that already um, that are willing to hand down the knowledge, which is what we do in midwifery. And then, of course, yes, um, taking um, courses, you know, um, uh, Stuart Fishbein has uh, his reteach breach classes and um, breach without borders. We we do sim we have the simulation classes along with our breach pro and then your um, wonderful conference in August. And I think there's another conference in Bemidji um, that's in like June. So then, so it's getting more popular. Breach and twins are, it's, it's a big topic um, lately. And it's even getting more, um, I think more hospitals are starting to come around. Not enough, but very slowly more physicians and hospitals. I know a few that I, and I just love these physicians for going out on a limb and um, attending um, these births that none of their colleagues want to yeah I mean that's attend. kind of the only yeah. births that I'm attending for the most part is people that have written clients off and I'm like okay we got to do this yeah. now and it's yeah. during my you know whatever holiday and I have to miss the family trip but frankly the more of us that are doing that the less uh, pressure there is for people like you to have to travel all the way you know out of the northern midwest <laughs> to come yeah. to attend so um yeah and in some one of these years i'm going to convince you i don't know who i don't know what i have to do to get you to this conference but people <laughs> have requested you come to louisville this is the second year we're doing it and this is going to be much more of a refuge than a conference but Stu's there ricks is there betty ann dave uh, david hayes but we're also bringing some international midwives and there's lots of simulation, and it doesn't mean you go to one of these things, whether it's reteach breach or breach without borders. Spinning babies is also going to be there. Lots of breach practitioners, but none of them will come and say, I have learned it all, including yourself. Oh, no. This is a oh, practice. No. This is a, uh, it's almost like a rite of passage in and of itself. It has to be you that does the work. You can't just yeah. talk the talk if you're not going to walk the walk. And I right. am very, I feel very fortunate to call you a friend. I know I say that every time. We haven't even met in person, for those listening. Uh, I'm actually uh, far, far uglier in person. I have a filter on my camera. And so you're going to be, that's part of the reason I haven't driven up there, because I don't want you to be freaked out with my 
Uh, my ugly well, mug. Well, I'm an yeah. old lady, so there you go. <laughs> with a with a lavish, lush head of hair, I must say. <laughs> what it prompted you? It is when I grow it out. There's <laughs> nothing wrong. It's actually quite quite lush. Is that um, just because but, of all the traveling with Doctors Without Borders that it's just yeah, shorter to have yeah, short hair? Yeah, I get hot. Um, I get, and it's just so much easier. But really, I, I'll sh I'll send you a picture. I have lovely people see pictures and they're like. Oh, you have beautiful hair. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't shave it because it's <laughs> not I hate beautiful. my hair. I shave it for convenience. <laughs> it's blonde. I'm actually a blonde. People don't believe me, but yeah, I am. Wow. Um, so, That's but, interesting. I mean, people that know me from before can verify. Yeah. And I've never dyed my hair or anything like that. So yeah, it's blonde. I, I went on a, so I never had shaved my head. I always thought it was kind of like, like, I was just kind of a square when I was growing up. Like, you're supposed to have hair and part it on the side and wear your corduroy shirts. <laughs> I, and I was like a total geek. And then I went on Semester at Sea, which is a program whereby you take college credits and sail around the world on a ship, an old re retired yeah. cruise ship, and you take college credits. And and there's a there's an old Navy tradition. My father was in the Navy, and he told me about this. He said, you know, the first time that you sail over the equator, there is a tradition that you're supposed to shave your head. And so mm -hmm. most of the, the first time these sailors would enter, like get on the aircraft carrier or whatever, as soon as they cross, it was the tradition to shave your head. So, you know, military boys all have real, real cl clean cuts, but the, the, the Navy men back then wouldn't even get their hair trimmed until they crossed the equator. So, like my father, my first ever opportunity was on semester at sea, although I wasn't in the Navy, it was on a ship though, and I shaved it. And ever since, I was like, I get this. I totally yeah. get why people shave their heads when they do a lot of traveling because it is it feels nice your head stays cool it's uh yeah. and i i now i do it every once in a while when i go through like an emotional break break up of something i'm like i just buzz my head and it, it like a it's like a cleansing thing so yeah Anyways. it is and it, it really i mean at least especially as a woman i will tell you um because it's very i didn't realize how political hair was until i <laughs> didn't have any on purpose and but but uh you know it's very um it strips the ego let me tell you oh, because yeah. you i mean i i might Can't as well hide. be naked i, I yeah. feel very naked at times um sometimes more than others especially where i live it's a very conservative area so people are looking at me going what is up with her and uh but um yeah it's it's i i like it it's um in the winter time if i'm cold i just put a hat on but in the summer it's just it's delightful because I'm not hot. It's almost like a and ritual so, at this point, it seems like, where... Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. last question for you, since since ritual came up. What are some rituals that you do after birth, if any, or that you encourage people to do, especially when they've got three babies now? You know, I've heard of closing the bones, and there's a lot of different energetic practices. There's placenta prints. Yeah. There's all these things. Is there anything that you yeah. kind of bring into the home that's very unique? We'll, and we'll finish with that. No, I don't think there's anything in particular. Uh, you know, I meet everybody where they are, and all of my all of the people that I've served have been so different. Um, but I, you know, I encourage um, them to, if they're not doing something like encapsulation of the placenta, to to plant a tree with the placenta. So I think that that's what this family is going to do. Um, they were already um, going to do that. But, you know, I I just encourage them to to do their own rituals in regards to whatever it is they, you know, 
they're in in line with their belief systems i guess is the best way to put it um but um and i myself i i planted um a tree for my son's placenta Mm. it's down in guatemala it's down there you should go visit it it's got to be full grown by now but um yeah so i mean I, i think ritual is very important and uh and you know everybody just has to come up sort of with what their own um what their own is beautiful thank you yeah thanks for coming and spending some time with me again and uh hope to see you in person someday in the future yes absolutely i gotta make it down there to kentucky yeah you almost we almost did it didn't we you were gonna drive through and then you decided smartly to fly because i mean it is beautiful here it's probably more beautiful than um you're living in minneapolis is that right no i'm in the upper peninsula of michigan oh michigan that's right that's right yeah nice and rural up here but it's cold it's like 32 degrees today especially with that bald head (laughs) yes yeah christine thank you thank you we will we'll send this story out and to your clients uh the most polite gentlemanly curtsy that i could ever you know (laughs) bow on my knees we're not we're the like wayne's world (laughs) kind of thing um thanks again i'll talk to you soon okay been a pleasure thank you bye-bye Bye. All right, you just had the joy of hearing from Christine Laria, CPM, international midwife. She goes by Global Midwife 64 on Instagram. Go check out her work. She documents a lot of her time with Doctors Bella Borders. And since the time that we recorded this interview, Christine has um, accepted my invitation to come to Louisville August 8th through the 11th. Um, for the Born Free Twins Breach Conference. This is the second year we're doing this. And as I mentioned in the show, it's far more than just didactics with slides and some like icebreakers and crowd participation. There is quite a bunch of activities that are planned just for you as the birth worker to do the inner work of healing from the variety of hard things that you've been through as a practitioner. And that is, is extremely important It's extremely important that you are taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your clients. And so that might include, I don't know, a musical odyssey from vocal lupist Rebecca Kelly G. It might include a panel discussion after a screening of the film Aftershock with Shawnee Benton Gibson and Omari Maynard, who are both featured in the film. They both lost a mutual family member, Omari's wife and Shawnee's daughter. She's featured in the film as a a black woman who... um, unreasonably lost her life giving birth here in the United States where we claim to have so much money and such great medical systems and yet if we're not all safe then nobody's safe and um, and that black mortality piece maternal mortality piece is going to be a part of this conference you might also enjoy an ecstatic dance with a local um, uh, ecstatic dance facilitator here in Louisville on one of the mornings or two of the mornings Um, You might also, we're still working on this, but we might be doing some vocal activation uh, sessions with one of my wife's new teachers. There is um, so much to this event. We're pouring our heart and soul, my small team and I, into making a refuge for you as a birth worker. Because in order to do this work, we have to consider the complexities of birth work. It's not just what are the steps to resolve a nuchal arm. That's actually the easy part you're going to need to practice this and you're going to get to to 
link arms with other people who also want to practice it. And so if you want to stick around on Monday the 12th after the conference, you can, um, for a little bit of extra money, pay on to pay some additional um, for an add-on to do a simulator intensive with one of our instructors, including Christine. So all of the information about the conference is at bornfreetwinsbreach.com. Christine may or may not, I don't want to you know, solidify this yet, but she may or may not be bringing her triplets client that you heard about on this episode with her as a means of facilitating a conversation around multiples pregnancies. And of course, anytime you have twins or triplets or whatever, if they're going to come vaginally, you're going to more than likely, as Christine's client did, you're more than likely going to have a baby that's butt or feet first. So she will be talking about all of that. It's going to be a great joy to have her and to actually finally get to meet her in person. So Thank you for listening to this short little mini-sode, little tweener episode. I'm Nathan Riley. You can find all of my work at BelovedHolistics.com. I'm on Instagram at NathanRileyOBGYN. If anything from this episode touched you, share it far and wide. People need to hear these stories, especially when triplets come vaginally. Um, if you haven't yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, five stars goes a long way nowadays. And of course, support sponsors, We Natal, my preferred prenatal vitamin as well as Immune Intel HCC, which is a functional mushroom made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms that boosts the amount of immune cells. The interconnectivity within your immune system helps you clear and fight off bacterial and viral infection and um, clear your HPV, reverse your precancerous cervical cells, all of that stuff. I love this product. I love Weenatal as well. Go and support those guys. And um, in the meantime, do no harm, take no shit. Hopefully we'll see you in Louisville. Again, the website for the conference is bornfreetwinsbreach.com. All comers are welcome, whether you're a doula, a midwife, an OB-GYN, a resident, family medicine, whatever. If you're going to be attending births, these are skills you have to have because, frankly, a woman has to consent to a C-section, guys. You can't coerce them to do that and say you provided informed consent. That's a no-no. So if they roll in and there's a butt coming out and you don't have the skills to attend to the rare instance in which a baby coming butt or feet first gets a little tangled up in there, that's on you. You're not an expert in childbirth if you don't have these skills. So... Come and reskill yourself. Become better than the OBs. How about that? And if you're an OB, become the best OB. That's what this is all about. You're going to be surrounded by love and grace and a lot of um, illuminated individuals if 2023 was any reflection. So we'll see you then, guys. In the meantime, take care. I love you.